Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Once again, I'm sitting out on my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony, enjoying these beautiful 190-degree temperatures. And what we're going to bring to you is going to be a similar type of heat. We're going to be dealing with things that are very important to business creators who have been tuning into this show for the past eight years. The impact of knowing your why and branding. Without knowing your why, you also cannot understand why you're even here to begin with. In my work, helping entrepreneurs launch their podcasts, we start by having them create an avatar of themselves. And the purpose of doing that is to help them rediscover by looking at themselves from the outside in what their why actually is and opening opportunities that they haven't seen right in front of them simply because they haven't taken the time to share the question with themselves for a while, if ever. And do we have a guide for you to take us through this? Her name is Lisa Shermerhorn. She has over 20 years of experience as a transformational leader, award-winning speaker and expert in the fields of human behavior, leadership, and personal development. She also trained in the winner's mindset with Bob Reese, the former head trainer for the New York Jets, and helped a professional golfer win golfer of the year. There's so much more you're going to discover about Lisa. She's going to share some things with you in just a moment. And if you visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and find the post for this episode, if you're on one of our syndication networks, you'll find her full biography, which is extremely impressive. I'll also just share a little bit about Lisa. Uh, She has a why. I'm just going to say that it has to do with challenging ordinary thinking, but it's going to be one of my questions for her, and you're going to enjoy it yourself. So I want you to get out a pad of paper and two pens and start thinking about what your why is going to be. Don't write it down just yet. Allow what we share with you to inspire your innovation and thinking to drive you to a new point of view that perhaps you've not seen before. And with that, Lisa Shermerhorn, come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. What a beautiful introduction. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, heck, I mean, it's my show, and having just read off that sample, I'm not sure if I'm qualified to be here. Anyway, uh, (laughs) let's start by taking a a journey. Uh, We share some of these statistics when we read off the official bios. However, we like to do is get into the story a bit. So tell us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Absolutely. Absolutely. So about 20 years ago, I went through a deep depression. I was actually borderline suicidal. I was going from therapist to therapist to therapist and no one was helping me. And uh, I was pretty desperate. Someone approached me. I don't even remember who's, who did, but they said, you, you need to go see this woman. She's a hypnotist. And I'm like, hypnotist. 
who does that? Is she going to make me quack like a duck? And, uh, <laughs> but I was so desperate that I went and I was amazed at how much better I felt. Uh, I didn't understand, you know, I, I came to understand how hypnosis just helps you get to the root cause really quickly. So the more I went, the more I was able to get to the root cause of some of the traumas that I had coming up for me. And it led me on a journey of studying. I studied everything I could get my hands on. I became a, um, uh, I, I was, I became trained in neuro-linguistic programming. I went on to study energy medicine. I went on to study with master teachers and all different things all over the world. I was just hungry to learn as much as I could because what I actually wanted to do was become the person I was looking for 20 years ago. So I didn't want anyone to have to search like I did. Wow, that is certainly something. And I myself have discovered the value of hypnotherapeutic exercises. And the funny thing about being hypnotized is you actually are aware that you're under hypnosis. So it's unlikely that you're going to quack like a duck unless you want to. That's exactly right. But people have this misconception but what it's helped me understand is the value of understand the subconscious mind and how so much of our programming and our belief systems from our childhood, from our parents, from our teachers, our friends, all of those things impact us so much and it runs us unconsciously. So when right. we come up against something as an adult, we have a six-year-old that's actually making our money decisions. Or we have a 12-year-old that's running our business. It's not good. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, and I think I caught what you meant by that. But correct me if I'm mistaken. Is that uh, what you sometimes have in those situations, you have somebody who's still stuck with something that happened when they were six or when they were 12. And they're carrying these decisions. But they're still in that frame where they've gotten frozen due to whether it's a trauma or uh, a programming issue. And surfacing that is part of the, the key to liberating them to embrace their why and be able to truly experience what it means to serve from their intersection, their brilliance and their passion. Wow, can I borrow you? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, we can discuss the rates. It's no problem okay. at all. Um, okay. so, uh, so at any rate, any rate here's some, um, you know, you I've done, studies in not only NLP, but also resonance repatterning, uh, the impact of inherited trauma, and the power of cycles. The best analogy I can give is if you have a spouse or a significant other and you're having an argument with them, it's a safe bet that your great-grandparents had that exa exact same argument over that exact same issue. Yes, we call that epigenetics. Yes. Yes. And I actually do a lot of work around that because we can walk around with belief systems that aren't ours. Oftentimes someone will come to me and they're like, I have this fear. I have this anxiety about something that doesn't make sense. And they've actually done studies with, um, with mice where they had them exposed to a certain smell, smelled like uh, strawberries, and they would send them a little electric shocks. And so they started to associate that shock with the strawberry smell and created fear in them their grandchildren would go up to that smell and run wow yeah it's in your dna 
And they also did a study during World War II in the Netherlands. There were um, people in the Netherlands who were starving to death because the Nazis cut off the food supply. Yeah. And they studied women who were pregnant at the time and their, their children, and they checked their cortisol levels and everything. And those, the children of the starving mothers ended up having all kinds of emotional and physical issues, high cortisol levels, they had obesity and schizophrenia. Yeah, uh, sometimes what we see, and I have some experience with this, is where you have a line in the family that will uh, seek to ostracize its in-laws and gaslight its children to distance them from the in-laws. They want them to think of this one direct line of the family as being the only family. And uh, I experienced some of that firsthand. And I also uh, have done studies on this. And what you can look for, there's one of many indicators as to why that can be. If you go back four or five generations, you may find, an you may find a situation where uh, one parent abused and or abandoned the other. So it became a matter of we cannot allow insiders in. Yes. And that, and, uh, that, and that doesn't exactly show up when you go to Ancestry.com and you connect all the dots between all the ancestors. Wow. I'm impressed that you've done that much research and, and, and know this much. Not a lot of people do. And it's quite profound, um, especially when, when, you can, when you can bring this information up and heal it. Um, it will change not only you, but your descendants. You're stopping. Yeah. You're stopping that. You're preventing it from moving forward. Um, it's a very powerful process. The key, the key, as I've discovered it, is not to hate your parents or your grandparents or your uncles or your aunts or anything like that, uh, because they did the best they could with what they had. And just as you may have experienced some of those cycles, so did they and their ancestors before them and before them, before them, and so on. So it's not their fault. It's nothing they did wrong, per se. It's uh, simply a matter that in our generation, we raise, raise the awareness of it. I think of it as finding, collecting data, putting it in the box and sitting it up on the shelf. I can see it, it's there anytime I need to access it and go through it to learn from it, but it's separate from me and I'm not carrying it around on my shoulders every day. Yeah, and, and one, one of the most critical things that I add on to that is forgiveness. Sure. Forgiving yourself, forgiving those who did it. And you're right, and I say it all the time. People do the best they can with what they have. And so a lot of people will take things personally, certain people's behavior, when they really are doing the best they can with what they have. And so I always look at the times when I'm triggered by someone else and I go inward and it's like, what is it in me that I need to work on that I'm triggered by this person? Right. And so I want to achieve a place of neutrality and forgiveness. So, cause I don't want to carry that around with me. It's, it's like a backpack full of bowling balls and yes. I want to put that down and it frees you up to focus on what you want, not what you don't want. Right. And another point I wanted to bring up is, you know, we get certain programming that we don't even realize is there. Here's an example that I love to share. And I come back to this on social media every so often. I remember when I was in grade school and we were given an exercise and it was to answer a question. The question read as follows. If you win a million dollars in the lottery tomorrow, what would you do with it? 
Now, there's two layers what I'm about to reveal here. The first one is on the surface. I found out very quickly when I gave my answers that the only acceptable answer was to make a list of the people you'd give it away to, and you had to give away every dime. So the idea that you could keep that money was just wrong because it, it, it was greedy to keep the money. You had to, you had to give it all away. Okay, yeah. so how, do, how does that help me serve people if I don't have wealth, number one? So it's, the idea, so it's implanting the idea that wealth in, in, in itself is a bad thing. It's a sin. And if it's presented to you, you should repel it. That carries over for entrepreneurs into, well, I should, I should repel high ticket clients. I should repel opportunities. I should continue to struggle 25 days a week. You are so, so right on. That's, yeah, that's level one. And then here's level two for you jump in here is think about how that question is worded. If you won the lottery tomorrow, so you can't earn the money, you can't gain the money. You can't achieve something that results in you getting that money in payment for your achievement as a reward for your achievement. It's you only get money by blind luck. Uh, some, you buy a ticket for something and somebody draws some balls out of a hopper and just turns out your set of numbers were the million dollar winner. That's the only way you can get wealthy. So you're in a class that is not supposed to have wealth. Now put those two together. Well, you know what, it, you are so right on. And I actually do a lot of money mindset work with people. And I have a talk that I do and I show a picture of a mansion. And then I ask everyone in the room to raise their hands if they want to make a million dollars a year. And everyone raises their hand. And then I ask people in the room, tell me about the people who live in this house. Everyone chimes in. Oh, they hate each other. They're getting a divorce. Their kids hate them. Their kids are on drugs. They can't afford to heat the house. And then I stop them all and I ask them this. You've all told me that you all wait, want to make a million dollars a year. But if you believe that everyone who lives in a house like this or people with money are miserable, why would you ever want to attract money? And they're all stunned. And the media and all the programming and everything, you know, that, that we are taught from a very young age is that people with money are greedy and evil. And, you know, they're all the villains in the movies. And yeah. I will tell you, there are so many people with money who are philanthropists. They create jobs. They do so many good things. Yet we have these perceptions of of, you know, around money, and we will sabotage ourselves over and over and over again, if we believe that people with money are evil or bad, or, you know, whatever your belief is around money, or if you had scarcity as a child, that will impact you in tremendous ways. And even yeah. people with money can have scarcity mindsets, because it runs them so much over and over again, they're always looking over their shoulder, waiting to lose everything they have. So however much money they make is never enough. Yeah. Uh, one of a pattern I'm also familiar with is the idea that if things ever go well for you, just wait for the other shoe to drop because it's all about to be yanked away. Yep. And I, and I actually, that's a pattern that I work to get out of because I have cases in my life where Finally, things are starting to happen the way I want them to. And then boom. Yeah. After you go through that three or four times, it can make you reticent about doing anything at all. Well, because also when, 
you attract what you believe. You have this part of your brain that is called the reticular activating system. And it's like when you buy a car and then all of a sudden you see that car everywhere on the road. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. I wanted something unique and different. I wanted to be different. And I thought I had this special car and now I see it everywhere. It's the same thing with your beliefs. So what happens is if you believe that you're going to lose it or the shoe is going to drop, your brain is going to keep pointing out situations that where that reinforces that belief system. So it won't, it won't look at the positive events that happen. It's only going to point out the negatives. And so that can be, and so you like, see, see, I told you, (laughs) I told you things are going to, the shoe was going to drop and there it did. Yeah. And, and see what's you and I understand and what I, It's part of my mission to help our listeners understand is these things are sometimes ingrained so deeply within us. And the process has been going on for centuries that Mm -hmm. it's so subconscious to us. We need help seeing it ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, there goes, you know, why I love becoming a why coach so much yeah. Helping people get into their what own. Is that, what does that mean, by the way? What is a Y coach? <laughs> so I'll explain a little bit. I was certified by an organization called the Y Institute. Right, um, right. This fellow, Gary Sanchez, went to see Simon Sinek speak. If you've ever seen his, his TED talk about the importance of knowing your why. And so Gary ran up to him and said, oh, my God, this is amazing. I want to learn how to figure out my why. And so Simon said, that's great. I don't do that. I just tell people the importance of it. You need to figure it out uh, your own why. So Gary went on to interview people, thousands of people over 10 years and discovered that there's actually nine different whys. I thought and there were five, but okay. No, well, in, in his system, it's nine. And, and then from there, you reduce it to three. So uh-huh. my own, so what I did is I find out my own personal why, and, which is to challenge or to think differently. Then my how, how do I do that? My, I do that by finding a better way. <clears throat> and then what I, what I bring, my what is, is um, to make sense. So I think differently. I'm always finding a better way but it better makes sense or I'm making sense out of an issue. So as a coach, that's really where I feel aligned. I and, can certainly see that. Go ahead. Yep. So, so that, that then helped me do my branding. And here's the interesting thing. When we find out what our why is. So as a child, I was always different because this why is a thread throughout your entire life. It's not just your work. It's how you do everything. So as a child, I was always different. I was artistic. I was creative. I didn't always fit in. And I was bullied a lot. And when that happens, at least for me, I was always hearing, why can't you be like everyone else? Why do you have to be different? So I always took it being different was bad. And I didn't, yep. own, it. I didn't own it. And when I got my why, I was like, Wow oh my God, yes, I am different. And that's what makes me special. That's what makes me unique. It's my superpower. 
Because when I look at something, I'm always looking, how can I do this differently? Let me find a different way because I don't want to do it like everyone else. And because of that, I found things that are different and faster and things that work in ways that most people, you know, don't see in conventional coaching or in the conventional world. Yeah, I was that different kid as well. Just put it on uh, about 19 administrations of steroids. Uh, and some of the messaging I got was really conflicted. One of which was, as you said, uh, you got to be a friend to have a friend and, and just you got to fit in. Okay, so I try this. And then I, because they, they say that this is going to make my life easier. And it actually makes my life more difficult. Now, right. another thing came up here is when I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll date myself. I, I was, uh, I, you know, grew up in the eighties and nineties. I was born in 1976. Uh, no, you will not find that in my banking information. Do not try and spoof me. But anyway, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, when I was about 17 years old, I decided that, uh, there was this jacket that I really wanted to buy. Uh, it was a nice leather jacket and they sold it at the merry-go-round stores. People my age know what I'm talking about. Uh, they ran all the ads on MTV. Uh, so I really wanted this jacket. I had a part-time job. I was saving up the money for it. And the same people that were telling me that it was important for me to have a friend to be a friend and to fit in and to be quote unquote normal saying, okay, who's wearing that jacket that you're trying to be like, why can't you be unique? Hmm. So you have a conflict right there. And what I, this actually turned into what I recognized later as a marketing lesson. Of course, I saw somebody wearing that jacket. And yes, when I was at the mall and I went into the merry-go-round, I saw that jacket hanging on the, hang on the rack. And it, they only released uh, their winter jackets three months out of the year. So they weren't currently available. I was waiting for the next edition to come out so I could buy mine. And that is just simply a matter of social proof. I liked the look. I liked the style. When I visioned myself wearing it, I liked how it made me feel. And I liked how I saw my vision of myself wearing it. So when I bought it, it became my prized possession. I just really liked that jacket. I mean, uh, so how, how does that, how, how do we, why do we have to commingle that with popularity contests and emulation of peers or anything like that? Uh, the company is a, was a major international corporation. They sold lots of copies of that jacket. Of course, I saw somebody wearing it. And when I saw it, I thought it was cool. There, just like a lot of other people wear a lot of stuff that's also very common and very popular that I don't like and wouldn't buy for myself. So you know, on the, on the one hand, you know, individuality, yes. And then the other hand, social proof does carry value. It's, and it's a matter of looking out in the world and seeing what options you have that you can align with or that you can be, make part of yourself. And if, you get, and if you get pressure to do one over the other, that's where you really got to look out. Because let me, let, me let me put it this way. Um, this jacket cost $230, and I was told that I shouldn't buy that one, but I should go to Macy's and get a $300 jacket that I hated because, well, that's a brand name. Yeah. Now, that, now what I just uh, read off there probably sounds like a bit of a 
discombobulated rants. But now imagine that that kind of conversation, and I and I demonstrate that for a reason, playing in somebody's mind and they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. No, exactly, because when you when you have challenge or think different, especially in your why, there's this constant battle inside you of there's a part of you that wants to fit in and there's a part of you that wants to be different. Right. And it's torture. It can be torture. So so people with this why, you know, we're always stepping out of that box. We're always, you know, trying to be different, yet then we're stuck out there by ourselves going, wait a minute. Hey, it's lonely out here. Right. So yes. And so I had to own that. And when I did, it changed my life. And so when I suddenly said, oh, you know, I, I am different. So I want to attract people with similar whys, or I want to attract people who want to do something different. So one of the whys is a right way. Someone who's very structured, procedural, likes to, you know, there's a right way to do everything. Someone like that may not want to work with me. Right. Because they may want a Harvard educated psychologist or, you know, uh, you know, a million dollar a year coach or whatever, because that's a proper way to do something. And that's okay. Because we have different, you know, I'm going to speak to the people who are different, who want to do things differently. And that's why I love to work with entrepreneurs and business owners, because entrepreneurs are people who think outside the box. Yeah, we're crazy. We are crazy. And we also (laughs) we are. And at the same time, we have to then go pitch in front of people who are judging us and say why they need to invest in us. And you have to have the courage and you have to have the self-esteem and you have to have the voice, the story and your why. Because here's the other thing that's really interesting is there's a part of your brain that makes all the decisions. And most people think it's the logic brain. X plus Y equals Z. You know, I went to buy a car and I checked out all the models and I got a certain price range that I want to work in. And then you get to the dealership and then you go sit in the car that's $20,000 more and the beautiful color. And it takes you back to a time when you were a kid and all of a sudden you've bought that car and you don't even know why. Because the limbic brain is the decision maker, the feeling part, the emotional part. So when you are selling, when you're branding, when you are pitching, you you need to speak to the limbic brain. And that's why people's why is so important. Because not only is it your personal story as to why you're doing what you're doing, but it also helps you get into alignment with who you are. And that gives you the confidence to stand up. I had a client, um, I have a client who part of his why is um, uh, simplify. And he works with consultants uh, who are engineers. He's a consultant to engineers. And they'll respond in an email that's five paragraphs long, that's very technical. And he could respond in four bullet points. He didn't value his why. He didn't understand. He just thought, oh, how am I going to charge for this? I don't understand my value. But when I explained to him that simplify was amazing because now you can take this complex information and bring it down to layman's terms so you can sell your product, he tripled his prices. 
be understood his value. It's not the hours and the time that you put in that you're charging for. It's your own personal experience and what you bring and the value of that. Yeah, there's uh, the, uh, the guy came in to fix the furnace, uh, tightened a screw and charged $100 for it. Yep. They thought, they said, what? You're going to charge me $100 for uh, turning a screw? Well, to hell with you. I'm not paying this. And I uh, said, okay, so I'll rewrite the invoice. Turn screw, $2. Knowing which screw to turn to get your heat on quickly so you don't freeze, $98. <laughs> you know what? You got to love it. It's true. It's true. Uh, but yeah, so, so getting back to the different types of whys. Um, so as the nine, the first why, which is one of the most popular whys, is contributors. And these are individuals who yearn to be part of a greater cause. They love to right. lift people up and make them feel better about themselves. They, and, and these are great people to be in business. You have to have them in your, in your business. These support people. And my business partner, Kevin, happens to have contributor in his, um, in his why. And I, I love having him as my partner. Um, one, and now all of these whys have challenges. So the challenge with this why is these are people who have a hard time saying no. They, they say yes to everything because they want to please. Yep. So with, with these people, the beautiful thing is when you find out what your why is, if it's not an alignment with your why, you won't feel good doing it. So this way, you know, is this aligned with, with my why, how, and what? And if it is, then I'll do it. If it's not, someone else with a similar why to that issue should be doing that, not me. Because I won't do right. a good job or my heart won't be in it. Sure. So, so those are the contributors. Then you have uh, the why number two, which is trust. People who build relationships based on trust and they are gonna do everything that they can to make sure that they are trustworthy. They will study, they will do whatever they can to demonstrate that they are expert, an expert in a given field so that you can trust them. Um, but they also, if you show any way of being untrustworthy, they will cut you off at the knees <laughs> yeah they don't give second chances or maybe they will if you beg but for the most part they don't the third one is making sense and that's my what and these are people who are driven to solve problems and resolve challenging or complex situations um why number four is find a better way and share it. And that's my how. Um, these are the ultimate innovators. A lot of people in startup companies because they're looking for a better way. They want to monetize it. They're like, I can do it better than that. I'm going to start a company. So people who think differently, people better way, those tend to be a lot of the entrepreneurs. Right. Um, and then you have, um, as I said, before why number five is doing things the right way. We need these people to create structure. They're really good with IT. They're really good um, in large corporations. There's a proper and correct way to do things and things should be done right. The thing that you wanna be careful of is that they can get into my way or the highway and get very rigid in their thinking. Right. Why number six, 
think different and challenge the status quo. We talked a lot about that, which is people who like to live outside the box. Now, it's like when I go to a restaurant, what's the special? Where I live, I live in a log home on the side of the mountain in the middle of Vermont. Not everyone does that. I'm always looking for things to do that are different. Yeah. Number seven, to seek mastery. These are people who like to read encyclopedias for fun. Okay. <laughs> That's master, me. That's me. A master. They are brilliant. And but so they will study, 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 study. They want to know everything about something that they and they'll do it in multiple areas. The problem is, is that sometimes they feel challenged because they don't they don't feel like they know enough that's the drive to learn more and more and more so sometimes they'll create a rolls royce when they only need a volkswagen uh-huh does that make sense to you yes yeah so that's the smallest percentage so that's that's i think only 10 percent of the population so you're that you're up there with einstein and da vinci and all these great brilliant um, masterminds. Hey, I'll, 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 ta- I'll take that. You know, that, remi- that, I mean, that's, um, you know, back when I was in a previous business, uh, one of the things we used to do is create membership sites for companies. And it seemed like it always, for some reason, it just always seemed to take forever. And, uh, my, and my, uh, and this was told to me by this one coach I had, uh, well, she actually was with a client, but I did some coaching with her too. And, uh, it was her site that, uh, seemed to be, taking me the longest amount of time for some reason. And when she said this, and I couldn't, I, I never thought, I thought her, she was the type of person who, if she said, golly gee, Willeker should apologize for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when, and when I told her what was going on with it and uh, where my struggle was, she said, you know what? I, I really don't care if it looks like shit. I just need the fucking thing up. <laughs> I, I was like, what, what, what? And, and, and she, went, she wanted to, went on to explain that, uh, that there was a misalignment in this case between, between uh, you know, what I saw as a vision for it and what she actually wanted. She needed a place to stick her files so she could charge money for people to download them. It didn't have to look exactly like her brand. In fact, she didn't even care if it was the same color. She just wanted it. That's and, uh, and then she went on to explain that she had worked with other companies that got hung up with this stuff and it had held her back in business where really she was actually the kind of client that's pretty open to anything that you can uh, convince her is, will give her a good shot of making a lot of money. And she's gone on to make nine figures. Wow. That's so cool. I yeah. love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, that taught me a, a few things as well. Cause I allowed myself and this again, goes back to programming uh the expectations that because i was gifted that i was naturally held to a higher standard everything i had did had to be perfect while at the same time being criticized for being perfectionist so i would allow myself on projects to be taken down stupid rabbit holes like why is this three millimeters different in internet explorer six and have things drag out for weeks over stupid stuff like that uh whereas the better course of action might have been for me to say uh, look, client, do you want your website or not? Do you want, I mean, the, uh, and, and where I figured out how to deal with this, and I, and I tell this story all the time, uh, this is actually with my own coach, who's also a client of mine, and uh, he invested in, do you remember, Lisa, back in the day when uh, they, before Apple did the thing, it made Flash useless, 
where people would buy these animations where they would jump around web pages and you filmed yourself against a green screen and then it would literally jump around the web page and guide people through reading your web page to your offer. Do you remember those? No, I don't, but it sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, for his, for his, for some reason, uh, and he did, and he did full body green screen videos, so it was like complete head to toe. For some reason, that uh, in Internet Explorer six rated as one of the twenty worst softwares of all time by numerous uh, articles and studies that have analyzed this sort of thing, only in that one browser, on one of the buttons where his video was supposed to land his foot was three millimeters away from the button and we could not get the thing to line up it worked in all the other browsers just not internet explorer 6 and he kept holding this up and saying come on there's got to be a way you can do this don't you don't you know how to do it and i and finally i said look you if you what i want you to do right now is i want you to make a list of everybody who said that they can charge, you can charge them money for this service as soon as you get your damn foot to line up on this button in this one browser. <laughs> and if you have a problem with this, take it up with Bill Gates, I'm done with you. And, uh, and he's told this story when introducing me on his stage where he says that uh, that was probably one of the most disrespectful things that uh, anybody had ever said to him. And it, and it affected him for two reasons. First of all, because he didn't like being disrespected. And second, because he knew I was right. So when I think about that, I recognize that it was very rough and unpolished. And there's, and I could have worded that so much differently that would have had a, a more positive effect much faster, part of my learning process. And, uh, but the lesson was there comes a point where you, people need to count on you to help them get out of some of their cycles. Because yeah. something, told, something told him that it had to align perfectly on every browser, but it didn't. Yep. And, and, and knowing what I knew about Internet Explorer 6, I knew it was never going to. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, you know what? It so so, so, that, so that actually led me to part of my why, which is to simplify common technology to enable you to move the market faster. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I was actually getting to simplify, so we can yeah, talk let's about that now. All right, so number eight is to create clarity. And clarity, those are the masters in communication. They seek to be fully understood at all times. And it's important for these people to know that people get and understand what they're saying. So they tend to ask a lot of questions. And they'll ask you a lot of questions to get you to come up with your own answers. And, and I was laughing because the more I, I do these whys, the more I could just start to, as I speak to someone, I can, I can get a sense of, of the way they speak, at least to figure out if they have it in their why. And there was a woman in front of me at the post office who kept asking the, the woman behind the, the desk, uh, you know, a million questions. And I started to laugh and I said, oh, she must have clarity. And at the end she said, oh, hi, my name's Patty. What's your name? And she said, Kathy. And she's like, is it Kathy with a C or Kathy with a K? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a common thing. It's a common thing. Yeah. So I just laughed because I was like, that is a clarifier. They, that's so important to them and they need to be un understood at all times. So with people like that, it's just important to say to them, I understand. And as soon as you say that, then they're like, okay, now, now they feel better. And oftentimes these are people who came from 
dysfunctional families where they weren't heard. So they overcompensate uh-huh. by this, you know, really borderline, you know, desperation of being heard. Uh-huh. And they have really masterful speaking abilities. Right. And then the last one we get to is to simplify, which is these are the fabulous people who make people's other people's lives better because they have the unique gift of reducing the number of steps required in almost any task. They'll take a recipe that's a nine steps and bring it down to seven. They will, you know, easily reduce tasks and make things simple for people to understand, like my client who is the consultant to the engineers. And it, it's such an amazing trait. For me, as, a, um, as someone who thinks differently and has challenge, we tend to have very messy desks and, and clutter. And yeah. so we need simplified people in our lives <laughs> to make our lives easier and, and much more clear and simple. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I yeah, clutter is one of my things as well. I have a lot of it. I yeah. I have I have I have uh, warded people off from my apartment by saying it's habitable but not visitable. <laughs> That's what closets are for. It's, you it's just shove yeah, everything it's in pretty, the closet. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's 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 clean, it's clean enough. It's 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 clean. I mean, I don't let it get dirty. Uh, but uh, there's stuff laying around, and uh, and for me. It's because now I know where all that stuff is. And for my cats, it's a nice little maze. That's so funny. My cats are happy with it. So that's good enough for me. <laughs> yes. I used to have, I used to have uh, two black cats. I miss them, but uh, um, my son was allergic, so I couldn't have cats anymore, but they're awesome. Oh, they're yeah. So awesome. Yeah. I have two black cats. As our listeners know, Princess Alessandra Francesca and Princess Stella Juliana. they uh, they are my supervisors, which means they can basically do whatever they want. The only thing I don't let them do is go into closets because I don't want them to get stuck. <laughs> Outside of that, they can do anything they want to as long as it's inside. There you go. Yeah. You yeah. Go. So, so what I noticed here is you went through these nine whys and yeah. it's, I, I, even just listening to you go through them. And in one case, I interjected my little story there. Uh, and I noticed that I have various elements of several of them. And in some cases, they conflict with each other. So there's the simplifier that doesn't want clutter. And then there's me that has clutter everywhere. Isn't that but, yet, but, yet, but yet I'm a simplifier by nature. It, it's interesting. So one of the things that they do through the Y Institute is you take a test. And the test is just five minutes. And it'll give you your actual why. And then... It's really what we're doing is getting to your top three, because I have a lot of these in me. We, we probably have all of them to some degree and some level. And at different right. points in my life, there were certain ones that were more than others, like mastery. I, when I went to study, I couldn't stop studying. I probably would have read an encyclopedia from top, you know, from top to bottom if it were in front of me. I wanted to learn everything I could and know and master my craft because it was so important to me. Um, and then, and then that phase of my life, I started to realize that yes, it's good to have information outside of me, but the majority of the information that I'm ever going to need is inside of me. And that's where I need to look. Yeah. And, and that was, that was a big revelation for me, 
But yes, they, we, we move in and out of many of them, but you'll find that there are, the top three are pretty primary. And what's interesting, especially if you're starting your own business, your personal why, how, and what tends to be the same why, how, and what of your company. But if you have a, a partner or several people who are starting a company together, it's always interesting. It, it, it's actually a fascinating process to do the whys of each of the individuals right. who are running the company. Then you want to find out, okay, who is your target market and what is their why? And you speak to their why. For instance, my partner almost has the same why, how, and what that I do. So Kevin is also challenged and likes to think differently. That's his why and his how is that um, it's better way, but his what is contribute. And we decided that our why, how, and what for our business, our branding and, and how we were gonna to communicate to our clients was, was going to be used using challenge as a, and not challenge, well, challenge, better way, and contribute. So our why for our business it, it, and how we structured it is, we challenge ordinary thinking because innovation requires an extraordinary approach. And how we do that is we help people get into alignment to achieve explosive growth. And what we bring is our ability to make our clients unstoppable. Right. So, so when you, God, yep. go ahead, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, so you go you, ahead, finish. No, so when you say <laughs> that, it's like, okay, now people understand what I do, what we do, and now we know, now they know who we want to speak to. It's narrowed things down. You know, what also occurred to me is you mentioned that there's this one type that, uh, that loves to read encyclopedias. That was me. Uh, my idea of after school fun was to go to the library and read encyclopedias. I had a set of encyclopedias at home. Boy, if there had been the internet at that time, uh, you wouldn't have gotten me off Wikipedia. It's still dangerous for me to get there because I'll open up one article. And by the time I read that first article, I'll have 19 other articles open in separate browser tabs between clicking on the things that article links to and other things I'm thinking, oh, I should look that up. And then I start a search on it just so that I have it when I get to it. So I can read one article and be there for three hours. That's so cool. However, yes. however, however, uh, that doesn't apply to all things. Uh, I was classified as gifted due to a combination of my IQ and just how far uh, I'm actually uh, living proof that homeschooling can work. When I was young, I was, I was deaf for a while. So my development was delayed. And uh, in order to get me caught up so that I could enter school at the, at the regular time, my mother started teaching me stuff at home even before kindergarten. So when I got to kindergarten, I already could count to 100 and I knew how to read and write. So put me out of alignment with uh, most of the other kids who were, you know, where you would expect to be, which is counting to 10 and starting to learn how to know, learn how to read and write. Like I could, I could spell the names of the dinosaurs and they couldn't quite understand what a dinosaur was. So just to put it in perspective. Uh, so that created the perception that I was some genius kid. Uh, the fact is, my IQ was higher than a lot of others. Uh, that is, to me, was caused by the environment that I was given. I was given that head start by being taught at home before I entered the school system. 
Now, unfortunately, it was assumed that uh, my genius and aptitude is spread to everything. So I was pushed through, and this particularly became an issue when we got to things like algebra, geography, geometry and trigonometry, um, advanced mathematics classes, where I struggled. And for all me being gifted, I could barely pass. So while I'm acing other classes without even reading the textbook uh, or studying for the test and loving everything in those lectures and enjoying the, the class discussions and, and reading that stuff on my own because I love it so much, I'm forced to devote up to 95% of my time struggling with something that I don't even care about. I mean, this involved hiring private tutors. This involved staying after school every time the teacher had office hours. This involved almost 100% of the time I spent on studying and homework over something I hated, and I was no good at it. And, uh, and, and, and when it got to the point where my paperwork to apply for advanced placement classes came to my parents the same day as... Uh, yet another deficiency report in mathematics, it was suggested I be taken out of the gifted program entirely and reduced to general classes everywhere else so I could finally have time to figure out math. Wow. Okay, here's why I share this story. Uh, I can't do anything about what happened before. Um, I believe, I've never been tested for it, but I, I candidly believe I have discalculated that, that thing that, uh, you know, I can spell it, but I can't say it. It's the, the thing that... Uh, you know, Dyslexia? No, dyscalculia. Do you transpose the, numbers? Yes, I do, as a matter of fact, I do all the, the time. I do, too. I do yep, the so you know what I'm talking you know ta yes. I've never been tested for it, but I suspect I have it because I'm that bad at it. So I went through the exact... You and exactly, I went through the exact same story. Exactly. I, I spent every summer yeah. in summer school because of my math. Exactly. I, exactly. Yeah. Some people weren't born for it. And I, and I, and they would say, but this is going to, it's like, no, it's not going to be important to me. I'm never going to do anything in my life that requires this because I freaking hate it. I'm no good at it. <laughs> this other stuff is what I'm good at. This is what I want to be. This is what I want to do. But, but how are you going to do your tech? I'll hire an accountant. How are you going to build your, I'll hire a contractor. How are you going to measure? I'll hire somebody to put in the damn steps. I mean, I had these answers. <laughs> I already had it figured out. And, uh, and, th and these answers have carried me through to today. So the reason I, I share this is because I can't do anything about the past. And again, I don't hold it against anybody because I believe that everybody did the best they could in their situation, as we discussed earlier. All I can do now, and this is where I think my power is, is although I don't have kids myself yet, I know a lot of people that do have children that are at about that age and maybe going through some of the same struggles. And maybe their struggle is actually history class. Maybe it's actually science, or maybe it is geometry, who knows? But just to raise the awareness that maybe it's worth it to really get in deep with understanding where their child's intersection of their brilliance and their passion is, maybe they shouldn't be taking uh, trigonometry intro to calculus. They should be taking business math. I, would, I wish I'd have had business math. I got more out of my accounting class, which I actually aced, than I, uh, than I got in any of those other mathematical measurement type classes. You know, uh, part of the reason why is because I knew I was going to need accounting, so I cared. No, you're so right on. And, and you know, that, that's, we could talk a lot about the school system, but I had a similar issue, but, but almost the opposite because... 
I had learning disabilities that, that yeah. were undiagnosed. And so when I went to kindergarten, my mother, yeah, I just told, yeah, I just told you, I think I have one, but go ahead. Yeah. So my, I, I, my mother sent me a year early because she had three children under five and she couldn't handle the, having all of them at home. So right. she sent me who had a learning disability to school a year early. And so I had kids that were one to two years ahead of me when I went through school. And so I spent every summer in summer school growing up thinking that I was stupid. So what I realized that I had to learn differently, I had to find different ways to learn. And it wasn't until much later on in my life that I realized that I was actually really smart, but it was smart in the things that I was good at, the things right. that came naturally to me. And those were not things that were taught in school. Emotional intelligence. They don't, they, they, yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't teach EI, they don't teach NLP, no. they don't teach a lot of things that are actually very valuable to us. And, uh, and you have to get into advanced higher education before you even hear the word neuroscience. Yep, absolutely. And so that's when I blossomed, because I was like, wow, I found something that I could excel at. And I was so good. And it was intuitive for me. And uh, I finally, and, but I had, to, and I think the overcompensation of studying was always feeling like I never knew enough and thinking yep. that I was stupid. So I had to keep yep. mastering and mastering and mastering. It served me well, but it's also held me back because it kept me from stepping out into the forefront and really putting myself out there. Cause I always felt like that imposter syndrome. I don't know enough. I don't yeah. know until you just go out there and you do it. And then I was like, Oh my God, I know more than a lot of these other people. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To finish, to finish my math story, um, you know, the high school curriculum only required me to have three years of mathematics. So my senior year, I just wouldn't take one. And what, what no math. It's like, no, I, I suffered for three years and I managed to get by trigonometry and college algebra with a passing grade. That's enough for me. I don't care. I, it's not, it's not required for my, for my state mandate. So I'm not doing it. I don't care. When I went to college, uh, when I went to Penn State, they gave us the battery of aptitude test to find out where we really were uh, so they could place us appropriately. And I found myself moving up very quickly in a lot of different areas. In fact, I got, I got a number of exemptions from classes I otherwise would have been forced to take as part of the so-called general education curriculum, which is another topic for another discussion. Uh, However, when it came to mathematics and I took my aptitude test for that, it was recommended to me that I take remedial basic math classes. However, if I wanted, however, if I really applied myself, they said there's a possibility that I could pass in, are you ready for this? Trigonometry and college algebra. <laughs> and uh, so I had to take two math classes, trigonometry and college algebra. So I went through that same suffering through the trigonometry class and uh it had about the same results and the same feelings for me when it got to college algebra i uh was i was introduced to the term see your way through it and that's what i did because at this point i realized all i had to do was get a c in this class it, it, uh, it was part of it was part it, it would be lumped in with general education where it would be balanced out by almost straight A's and it wouldn't even count for my major. So all I had to do is get a C. So I stopped caring. Well, there you so, go. So I, so I approached the test. What do I have to do to get a C on this? And that's all I would do. And I felt a lot better that way. You know, we all have to do what we have to do to get yeah. through it. Yeah. 
and I, and I share it and I share this because I also want people to understand you don't have to ace everything in life. Uh, and it's a matter of finding your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So that is my why. In addition to simplifying common technology to help people reach revenue and profits faster, the other piece of it is helping them locate and serve from their intersection of their brilliance and their passion so they can make a difference for their community, market, and audience. So as we wrap up here, Lisa, what's your why? So my why is um, I like to challenge conventional thinking. And how I do that is I find a better way. And what I bring is to the ability to make sense out of complicated situations and problems. Yeah, I, I, and I can align with that as well. So as we wrap up here, you know, this whole, this whole topic is fascinating to me. Uh, and I know that some of our listeners may want to get more into the why coaching and this impact of knowing your why. So what invitation do you have for them? So how do they go forward with you if they find themselves on the edge of their seat wanting to take this to the next level? I know you have yeah. a website, so tell us. Yeah, I have, I have a website, um, two actually, one which is lisashermahorncoaching.com. Uh-huh. If you can't spell my name, you can get to me through peakperformancemindsetcoaching.com. Right. And so you can message me through that. And uh, I have, uh, I can send you the why test. It takes five minutes. And then in an hour, we can go through the process and you can have your why, how, and what. We can also work on you discovering your why for your branding, for your business. And it's, I'm telling you, it's a game changer. I felt so aligned when I did it. It really, I was so amazed by it. I was like, I had to become a why coach. Yeah. So you found your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. You're making a huge difference for your community market and audience. Absolutely. Yeah. I love this. I love this. So Lisa Shermerhorn, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me, and I say this on every episode, but in this one, I got to really say it. Believe me in education. Thank you so much. It was a privilege and an honor to be here. Thank you. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.